Welcome to Frontier War Stories, episode 28. Just a disclaimer uh, before this episode, uh, and like many of the episodes on Frontier War Stories, we talk about deceased uh, Aboriginal people. Uh, In this episode, we'll be mentioning um, the names of perpetrators, uh, the names of very significant people uh, whose actions caused... Um, irreversible damage, uh, not just to the Aboriginal people of that time, but, you know, uh, successive and continuing Aboriginal uh, people up to today as well. Uh, We'll be mentioning massacre sites and we'll be talking about uh, some horrific, I dare say some horrific things uh, in this episode as well. Um, Without further ado, welcome to Frontier War Stories. Before I go on any further... I'd like to pay my respects to the country on which I make this podcast and where my guests are from, also the listeners. And also I'd like to uh, take some time out and uh, pay my respects to all the Aboriginal people who fought, uh, resisted and survived the Frontier Wars, which began as early as 1788 and lasted till around the 1930s. That's roughly 140 years that Aboriginal people continued to fight, to resist and survive. I would also like to pay my respects to all Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people across this beautiful continent. Each episode, I speak with different Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about research, books, oral histories, which document the first 140 years of conflict and resistance. These times are the frontier wars, and these are our war stories. My guest, as I mentioned, uh, will be speaking about... um, I guess what we could say is uh, the founding figures uh, of this country, what is known as Australia. But my guest is a former politician, archivist and local historian, Michael Organ. Uh, thank you for making some time and coming on Frontier War Stories. Thank you for the invitation, though. It's great to be here. Um, and I guess just really quickly, one of the things that I want to jump straight into as well, like... As I mentioned before, we're going to talk about uh, Captain Cook. And I guess at the time he came around Australia, I believe he was a lieutenant, uh, as one of the guests that we'll be talking about, and uh, Macquarie. These two figures, uh, like many figures in early sort of uh, the early British uh, colonisation of Australia, has had a devastating impact uh, on the lives and the livelihoods of Aboriginal people in those times, but then also today as well. Um, and uh, I got in contact with Michael early this week because I was reading some of his stuff online regarding Macquarie, and then after a bit of a chat, you know, you wanted to really bring home some some home truths that maybe myself and a lot of people don't know even about uh, James Cook as well. So I guess first we'll start off uh, with James Cook. I think at that time, as I mentioned, he may have been a lieutenant, uh, James Cook, and as we know... Uh, of Cook in 1770, him uh, uh, and his ship sailed along the east coast, eventually getting uh, to the Torres Straits, what now is known as Possession Island, uh, supposedly planting the British flag and claiming uh, the east coast of Australia as uh, a colony of Britain. Um, that, that, that's sort of the story that we know of Cook um, but what do you know of uh, Lieutenant James Cook? 
Well, thank you, Bo. Yes, Lieutenant James Cook and Governor Lachlan Macquarie, they're basically the same man in that both of them were military men. One was a soldier, a colonel, Macquarie. One was a sailor, a lieutenant and a captain, James Cook. So they're both patriots. They're both British. They're both aligned with the military. They weren't necessarily scientists, humanitarians or anything like that. They were military men and they had military objectives. Now, in regard, and I think that's an important link, because what Cook did then provided context to what Governor Lockwood Macquarie did. So Captain Cook, on the 28th of April, 1770, the Endeavour sailed into Botany Bay. Obviously, with the people of Sydney very much aware of, um, of, of what the arrival of the Endeavour in Botany Bay represented, because as soon as the Endeavour was seen off the shore of Point Hicks on, near the Victorian border, Aboriginal people followed it all up the coast and were very much aware of what was happening so that they were ready when it arrived at Botany Bay. Now, Captain Cook then, the way he dealt with the Aboriginal people of Australia was against his orders. He had specific orders from both the Lords of the Admiralty, who were his bosses in the military, and from the Royal Society, in, which is the chief scientific organisation. Now, the, 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 the orders from the Royal Society and from the Lords of the Admiralty both clearly stated you are to talk with the local people and make an arrangement with them so that we can have a place where we can harbour our ships. And they also said if, if the land is uninhabited, take possession of it in, on behalf of the king. Now, Cook knew the land was inhabited, and but he then went on to take possession. He also, in the orders that he was given, it said quite clearly that Aboriginal people are the rightful owners of the land. Um, you're not allowed, you shouldn't be shooting them, you shouldn't be dealing with them in that manner. You've got to treat them with respect and civility. And basically, a lot of what are in those orders are exactly what we would say today if we were giving orders to someone. So for people to come along and say, oh, no, 1770, 1816, things were different, people didn't think that way, is actually wrong. So there were good people who told Cook what to do, but being the military man that he was, he didn't do that. And as a result, in, he later took possession of the whole east coast of Australia. And then 18 years later, 1788, the first fleet comes into Sydney Harbour. And once again, the shore is lined with Aboriginal people shouting out, we're we're away, go away, go away. So the Aboriginal people, once again, for Governor Phillip are saying, hang on, this is our land. You know, we don't want you here. We know what you're going to do. We know what trouble you bring. So from the very outset of the arrival of the British in Australia, we have people such as Cook, Governor Phillip, and then later Governor Macquarie, who are all military men. Now, Governor Macquarie was a, a colonel. He was a soldier. And he was sent out here in charge of a prison. He was a prison ward. Sure, he ended up building a lot of pretty buildings. But that was the harsh context he was dealing with. He was dealing with a brutal convict regime. He was dealing with military and administrators. And he was dealing with the pressures of free settlers who wanted free land. And Beneath all that, at the very bottom of that, was dealing with the Aboriginal people. 
And with that context in mind, we saw that the actions that Governor Macquarie took in 1816, which were brutal and horrific, just followed on the actions of Cook and of Phillips. Was there much interaction, violent interaction from Cook and, and Aboriginal people um, along the East Coast? Well, basically, basically, as I said, when Cook in that little boat from the Endeavour attempted to land at Blotton Bay, he, he, he fired some shots and he, he shot two Aboriginal men. One of them went down and was injured in the leg. We don't know. He probably didn't die, but he, he was taken away and the other man ran away as well. So basically, that's the only rural encounter we have a record of. And you've got to remember, the only records we have are those written by the perpetrators, like Captain Cook, like, like We don't have accounts necessarily. Well, I don't have access, but the accounts from the other side. I know in recent years, Aboriginal people, descendants, have talked about what stories they've been told about that. But no, the, the only encounters with guns and that we know of was the shooting by Cook. Of course, once the Endeavour um, dropped anchor, it was there for a couple of weeks. And and once again, there was a lot of shooting of animals and, and shooting of birds. There was cannons going off. So that was the only real encounter that we had, we have a record of during that period. Um. And, and just before we move forward as well, uh, not just here in Australia or what is now Australia, um, Cook has has had other interactions with other Indigenous peoples around the world uh, that may have not been um, as forthcoming and as welcoming as well. Is that correct? I, I think, of course. Um, we, we know that there was really bad incidents in New Zealand um, and eventually the people got in Tahiti, they actually killed him because of, of the way that um, he was he was almost acting or being treated like a god, and he wasn't a god. And he, For example, in Tahiti, he kidnapped um, one of the relatives of one, of one of their kings, and as a result, he was, he was killed by the local people for that. So I think the picture we have of Cook of, of this incredible explorer and humanitarian and all that, he might have been good at making maps, he might have been good at, running a boat and making sure his crew didn't die from scurvy. But in regards to the actions that he undertook and that a lot of other um, British sailors, etc., did the same sort of abuses as well, um, it's not a pretty picture. So what happened in Australia, it happened in New Zealand and it happened in other, in other islands in the Pacific. Um, so it wasn't a one-off event. So in regards to you know Arthur Phillip, what can you tell us a bit about uh, are the true history around him and 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 the establishment of the colony because I guess you know like anywhere else and and like as history has sort of played out you know it may it mayn't have been um, uh, sunshine and rainbows as history tries to make out uh, with these figures. No, well, it definitely was not in regards to the first fleet and there's it's probably one part of of Australian history that's been heavily covered because a lot a lot has been written about it, a lot of was written at the time. People such as Philip and a lot of the senior soldiers on board wrote diaries and accounts. And we know there was incidents. We know that 
Pemaway, one of the one of the leaders of the Aboriginal resistance around Sydney, was shot and was killed, meaningfully assassinated. Um, we know that there was encounters. We know that um, Philip was speared, and he would have been speared for a reason. Um, we know that um, smallpox was released below the by the um, arrivals, and half of the population around Sydney was dead within six months. So there was obviously the Sydney Harbour and around Sydney was the place to be most impacted and the first place to be heavily impacted by the arrival of, of European civilization. And um, it was a foretaste of things to come. Um, you know, Philip actually kidnapped Aboriginal people to try to get them to communicate. The Aboriginal people were naturally naturally reticent about contact with the um, arrivals because they were soldiers, they were convicts, and um, they had the, the Europeans had no respect, had no respect. They they did not seem in any way to have attempted to engage with Aboriginal society and community. They didn't sit down. They didn't have a talk. They didn't they didn't do what should have been done. What they'd been told they needed to do, they just, as I said earlier with Cook, and later with Macquarie, they just let the guns speak for themselves, and they treated Aboriginal people in the most horrific and brutal way possible. So the story of Governor Phillip and what happens from there is leads on to what the, the horrific behaviour of Lockman Macquarie in eighteen sixteen. Tell us a bit about the fifth governor of uh, of Sydney, New South Wales. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Lachlan Macquarie. He was born in 1762, so that's just eight years before Cook had arrived. He arrived in Australia in 1810 and left in 1821. So when he arrived, he was about 48 and left when he was about age 60. He was a colonel. He was Scottish. He was a colonel in the army, and he came out to Australia in 1810 as Governor of the colony. Now that included most of Australia, and um, I think he also had a another kind of governor down in Tasmania. So he was he was the he was like the prime minister of the day, Governor Macquarie was. Now, as I said, he was a military man, pure and simple. He was he was a warden of a penal colony, of a prison. That was his main job. His second job was to deal with free settlers, and that's what brought him into conflict with the Aboriginal people. During the 1810s, he, in, all of a sudden, the British are saying, "Okay, well, we've got the we've got the convicts under control. We've got this prison under control. Let's now start spreading out. Let's now start giving land away." So under Macquarie, they started to send surveyors out and survey the land, and all of a sudden, the Ab- Aboriginal land is being taken away from Aboriginal people. And this started to get raised conflict because what comes with land ownership? Erection offences. And what happens if you jump over a fence, you're on someone's land, and all of a sudden you're being called a criminal for trespass. So what Macquarie was doing in, in handing out land grants left, right and centre was to have a major, major impact on Aboriginal civilization. Because all of a sudden, Aboriginal people couldn't do what they'd been doing for tens of thousands of years, and that is survive and live and, and, and travel and do all those things. All of a sudden, there was fences and dogs and, 
and landowners with guns and all this sort of thing. And as the settlement spread out from Sydney, the settlers, the free settlers, ended up taking land and they felt worried that the Aboriginal people, who some of them could be aggressive, would cause them trouble. So the military man that Macquarie was, he he reacted in a military way. He didn't react in a civilised way. So that in 1816, he wrote to his boss in England, noting how his previous, notice and I quote, the failure of his previous efforts, and I'll quote, to domesticate and civilise these wild, rude people. So he, he was this arrogant British administrator, governor. This was his view of the Aboriginal society. It was, it was seen as less than, even worse than the convict. You know, he wanted to domesticate, and that word's used. It's almost like the Aboriginal people were animals. They needed to be domesticated, civil, civilised, these wide rude people. In other words, they didn't, Macquarie didn't see Aboriginal civilization as a civilization. He's talking about civilizing them. So this is what was in Macquarie's head when he instigated the terrible programs he instigated in 1816. When I was reading uh, some, of the, some of your papers that you've uh, written on Lachlan Macquarie, is uh, some of the words that he that he used um, to define uh, the interactions with Aboriginal people, uh, which lots of uh, conservative historians have continued to deny that there was anything such as or as far from war that happened uh, here in Australia. Uh, from reading some people's stuff, you know, um, you, you directly, I guess quote uh, uh, Governor uh, Macquarie in saying, um, you know, if you catch capture the children and, and the women, bring them as prisoners of war. Um, yeah, could you just tell us a bit about this part as well and, and this sort of secret uh, letter that he wrote uh, and then we'll get on to sort of uh, what that letter was for and, and what happened as well. Yes, so... By early 1816, Macquarie was getting a lot of flack from free settlers because as early as 1814 around Sydney, some of the Aboriginal people who'd been abused had fought back. And um, this was outrageous for Aboriginal people to fight back, you know. So, so by 1816, Governor Macquarie decided to secretly involve his military um, battalions his, his military troops to go out and on campaigns to basically um, we get rid of the problem. He he said, and I quote, um, he said to drive them to the distance from the settlement. In other words, on the 18th of March, 1816, he he issued a proclamation or a letter or whatever to his troops and to other senior people that he wanted the Aboriginal people driven away from Sydney. He wanted, and what did that mean? Well, we're going to find out what that meant. So to drive them away. So in order to drive them away, he basically declared, unofficially declared war on them. Because on the 8th of April, um, he'd, he'd sent another one of these letters and dispatches 
and the 8th of May as well. And he, and for example, this is exact words that he said, this was the orders for the troops. And I'll just quickly quote one sentence. On any occasion of seeing or falling in with the natives, either in bodies or singularly, they are to be called upon by your friendly native guides to surrender themselves to you as prisoners of war. Okay? So this is what he, he'd written in 18, in April. And also earlier in the 9th of April, he'd written the following in regards to taking children away. He said to his soldiers, you will select and secure a number of fine, healthy, good-looking children from the whole of the native prisoners of war taken in the course of your operation. So Macquarie, who was a colonel in the army, he knew what he was talking about, was clearly implementing a war in Australia in 1816. Now, if, if, you, if you talk to... Yeah. So if I could just sort of jump in really quickly. So that's obviously his words. Uh, in regards to you know uh, capturing uh, the mob uh, in that area to sort of um, stop the resistance um, and yeah the ever growing resistance uh, against the colony against his colony. Um, what was what would be the sort of words that would have been sent back uh, to England? Uh, was there any dialogue sort of discussing that and? You know, like if 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 uh, Governor Macquarie was saying that, you know, does that make it uh, official that there was a war going on here? Like, yeah, I don't know if you know where I'm going here, but yeah, no, there was no discussion. Mm. In fact, in fact, there can't be a discussion because the only, if once again, this is British legal law, the only. An international law, not L O R E L A W. The only way, only nation states can declare war. Okay, nation states can declare war against other nation states. Australia was not a nation state, um, so you couldn't have a war in Australia because, according to the lawyers, it's not a nation state. Um, the British were not about to. The same as in Africa of the Zulu War. I don't think that was ever even declared a war. Who knows? So there were so many wars actually being carried out, but they weren't, if you want to argue in 2022 that it wasn't really a war, well, you can argue that, but that's just rubbish because it's, it's, playing, it's playing with words. The fact is we have, we have the words of Macquarie, who was the number one representative of the British establishment in Australia. We have clear words where he's talking about prisoners of war in regards to Aboriginal people. It's a military campaign. Sounds like a war to me. And there was no pushback from England. When he reported later on, I don't think he actually said to them, oh, yeah, I declared a war. He didn't. He wasn't that stupid. He actually just said, oh, no, we had some skirmishes, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is we here in Australia... Forget about England, forget about lawyers, forget about international law, LAW. We in here in Australia, when we look at this, I'm not Aboriginal, I'm a white fellow. When I look at this, I go, Governor Macquarie declared war on the Aboriginal people around Sydney. That's definitely exactly uh, what has happened as well, because as we know, um, 
the reason why that second part of the the quote that you said in regards to taking you know the the healthiest good lookingest children was because after yeah before that they you know uh, would have secured those kids maybe in a massacre as well um, so actively you know the fifth governor uh, of 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 the of the colony here was actively sort of involved um, in massacres as well and obviously I'm sure before this there may have been massacres and and, and battles that were fought before this as well um, but I guess with a letter like that there would that sort of be one of the first official sort of uh, sanctioned uh, massacres from a head of state or you know from from the governor yeah. Yes, Appen, the Appen Massacre of 17th of May 1816 was, in fact, the first officially sanctioned massacre in Australian history. Um, it was sanctioned, it was, it was implemented at the behest of Governor Macquarie, and you can see that in his orders to his troops. Um, after it occurred, it was covered up for a while, but then when he reported back to England on it, once again it was covered up and it was it was um they called it what did they call it they then this this necessary but painful duty that was how they described the massacre as a necessary but painful duty so you know what what actually happened with the massacre does not agree with what governor Macquarie told the people his his um people in England actually happened so what we know is and we've got an account, basically one account by the chief perpetrator, the Captain Wallace, who led the detachment that carried out the massacre. He produced a report. We have no reports, no comments from Aboriginal people. So we've got to rely on what he said. So at about 4 a.m. in the middle of the night on the 17th, under darkness, um, the this detachment of troops, and they were hardened troops, they were they were Macquarie's best troops, and they had guns and everything, approached the camp, and it was a camp full of, dare I say it, men, women, old men, old men and women, children, and um, with two, two men who were there kind of guarding and helping them. A lot of the men of the tribe had, had gone into hiding because Macquarie had issued an order that if they were found, they would be shot at and hung from trees, etc. So here's Captain Wallace and his and his troops approaching this camp of of just men, women, and children, basically old people, etc. And what? And there was two people, two Aboriginal men to defend. And but what? And what they did is they shot in the dark, and the people got up and ran, and they kept shooting at them, and they ran towards the big cliff at a cataract gorge, and they were forced over the cliff. And they were killed, and sixteen of them died. Um, and hang on, I've got sixteen died, and let's see, there was, I think there was about there was Balin, an old man was killed. Um, Jewel, he was hung from a tree; his skull was collected. Kinney Bajel, he was the chief protector. He was shot five times. Then he was hung from a tree, and his skull was taken. An unnamed woman was killed and her skull was collected. Ten others were killed, an old man, women and children. And two women and three children were captured and one young man, Durham, he escaped. 
um, Governor Macquarie later said that, and I'll just quote quickly, this is what he wrote back in, in, in explaining the massacre. The occurrence of most importance which took place was under Captain Wallace's direction, who, having surprised one of the native encampments and meeting with some resistance, and I'll interject there, there wasn't any resistance. There was one old man, Kunibadjil, with perhaps with a spear, killed 14 of them and made five prisoners. Once again, I'll interject, the five prisoners were women and children. Amongst the killed, there is every reason to believe that two of the most ferocious and sanguinary of the natives were included. Some few other prisoners were taken in the course of this route and have been lodged in jail. Now, those prisoners, once again, are women and children usually. And then Macquarie says, This necessary but painful duty was conducted by the officers in command of the detachment, perfectly in conformity to the instructions I had furnish them. So this is Macquarie saying to the powers of being in England, yes, I ordered this, they did a great job, we can carry on, we can continue what we were doing, which is truly horrific, truly horrific. In sort of remembering, you know, these figures, these three individuals, um, you know, do we remove the statues? Do we add, you know, uh, the horrific... Uh, incidents of, of what they carried out and what they did, like how should we remember these individuals, especially leading up to the 26th of January? Well, that's a good question, but um, I mean, if, if I for example said to the Premier of New South Wales, okay, there's a wonderful statue of Governor Lachlan Macquarie in Hyde Park right in the middle of Sydney, I'd like two extra statues to be erected. One is of an Aboriginal man hanging from a tree and the other is of some soldiers shooting at uh, a mother and her child. And I want those to be put next to Governor Macaulay's statue. Now, you imagine what kind of reception I would get. But that is a reasonable, a reasonable thing to ask for because if you could look all over Australia and where are you going to find one statue, for example, about the Frontier War. You go to Canberra and there's statues, there's monuments to to all the different wars, etc., etc., etc. Is there one mention of the Aboriginal War? Is there one mention of what we've been talking about today? No, there is nothing. There's all these statues about, there's war memorials all over the place in every town and city around Australia. And they've got soldiers standing there. But there's nothing about the massacres, the war against the Aboriginal people. And um, what do we do? Do we get rid of the Macquarie statues and all? Well, as a historian, I'd say maybe yes, maybe no. But I, but as a historian, as a white fellow, I'd say we need to start putting up those other statues or those other memorials and be brutally honest. Don't just say, oh, yes, okay, you can stick a an Aboriginal flag there where you can stick some little thing there that might represent Aboriginal society. Stick, make a statue of a hand, of a man hanging from a tree. Make a statue of Aboriginal men, women and children being shot and killed and raped and murdered and all those sorts of things because that is part of our history. And as a historian, I think I'm not interested in just 
the, the, the so-called good parts of our history. I'm interested in every part of our history. And this is such an important part because if those statues were there, when, um, when a family goes into Hyde Park and sees, well, there's Governor Macquarie. He built that lovely building we just looked at. But, okay, Dad, why is there a statue of a man hanging from, Aboriginal man hanging from a tree? Or why is there a statue? Oh, because Governor Macquarie instigated a war against Aboriginal people in 1816. What's wrong with that? For yourself, you know, what is the 26th of January? Um, well, it's, it's more Aboriginal to me than it is um, waving that flag with the Union Jack on it. Um, I think, just as my final word, once I was, when I was preparing this, I, I thought, now, who's ultimately responsible? And the ultimate responsibility goes back to the, to the British royal family. And I think it's about time that whoever that person is, whether it's Queen Elizabeth II or someone, they need to say, we are sorry for what we are responsible for because they were ultimately responsible for what Cook did, what Phillip did, what Macquarie did because no one wants to accept any responsibility. We're told, oh, no, that was in the past. It's not our fault and no one's responsible. So I think once, if you had the Queen saying, yes, we are responsible and stories such as this need to be part of the history, I think that'd be a great, a great occasion. That'd be worth celebrating. Oh, it definitely would be, you know. Um, and I think, you know, uh, these discussions sort of open up that dialogue, um, not just for, you know, very important people, but for everyday people around this, around this continent to sort of think about um, the process of. Um, you know, reconciliation gets thrown around a lot, but I think the 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 the, the process of accountability and truth telling, and then maybe reconciliation. Um, you know, yeah. we we need to sort of have these discussions. You know, to open up um, these wounds, to to sort of to cover up these wounds. You know, we need to open. Well, that's up. what they that's what they did in South Africa, didn't they? They had mm-hmm. the truth telling, and um, we we just don't seem to want to tell the truth. The Prime Ministers don't want to tell the truth. The um, Australian War Memorial doesn't want to tell the truth, doesn't want to accept the truth. So I think we need a bit of truth-telling, actually. Mm. And and just on that as well, you know, like, if anything, Aboriginal people have always and continued to be the truth that has been denied uh, on this continent in regards to the treatments and the direction uh, and the conversation that needs to happen as well. But, Michael, uh, thank you for coming on. And just really quickly, uh, Michael Organ, former politician, archivist and local historian, uh, where, where can we find some of the stuff that you've written? Um, where can our listeners sort of go to and just sort of, uh, yeah, check out and read uh, some of the amazing work that you've done? Well, I think if you type in something like um, Appen Massacre, in the Google, Appen Massacre, Michael Organ, or Governor Macquarie, Michael Organ, or Captain Cook, 1770, Michael Organ, I think it'll come up on Google, and that'll lead you into other material that was written. So, I mean, that's, that's the quickest and easiest way. Awesome. Thank you. And just really quickly, in wrapping up, um, for anybody listening uh, that appreciates uh, the work that I do, wants to support it, 
you know, uh, uh, financially, you can uh, donate uh, to the podcast uh, via Patreon. You can become a Patreon subscriber. Just head to, head to, um, if you just Google Frontier War Stories podcast, it'll, uh, the homepage on Podbeam will come up and there's usually a, a button you click uh, at, uh, at the top of your screen on the right-hand side to become a patron or if you want to da- uh, um, donate to the PayPal, you can head over to Instagram uh, and it's in the bio uh, and it's just Frontier War Stories. Um, yeah, and you know, all support is welcome, uh, whether that's just listening, sharing, but donations uh, is always uh, great as well to continue this uh, work. Um, but you know, um, this is a very important time uh, of the year for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So, you know, uh, the more that you can get involved in this discussion, the more that you can be uh, the truth. Um, and the more that you can uh, let people know uh, that, you know, celebrating the 26th of January is not okay uh, is the thing to do. Uh, And as always, you know, it is great. You've been listening uh, to Frontier War Stories.